stand with me. This is the first verse of the book of Ruth. First verse. And it says, uh, came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. That's important. Remember that. That there was a famine in the land. That's important too. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, that phrase is important, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. That's important. He, his wife, and his two sons. I want to teach you something today called the blessing of Bethlehem, Judah. All right? If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. Amen. Amen. Is there anybody in this room that knows what the word Judah means? Praise. Very good. Is there anybody that knows what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. Very good. Wow. I'm impressed. These people live in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, house of bread, Judah, praise. It's a great Old Testament snapshot of what the church should be today. Jesus said, man won't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's why he said he was the living bread, the living word. So in type, Bethlehem Judah should be a picture of what this church should be. There should be fresh word here, not stale, moldy old bread. There ought to be fresh bread and there ought to be praise here. There ought to be worship. Word and worship. Bible said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a theme all the way through the word of the Lord. This, this man, his name is Elimelech, is married to a woman whose name is Naomi. They have two boys. Me, all of my boys were girls. This guy's got sons. Malon and Chilion are their names. It says it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. We have, we still have the book of Judges in the Bible. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And if you read the book of Judges, there's only one famine in the book of Judges. And it tells the story of the, this enemy army, Midianites they were known as. They would come every year when the people were getting ready to harvest the crops. They let the people harvest the crops lazy. Then they'd come in and swipe all of the grain that these people had gathered. So they're going to starve through the winter it's a bad deal. So you got this guy by the name of Gideon who is hiding in the shadows, putting, uh, I think it was a wine press. So he's putting some grapes in here, trying to make some sustenance for his family. And the Lord speaks to him and says, thou mighty man of valor. And it's like he goes, And he said, yeah, you, here, here's this guy, frightened. But God calls him a mighty man of valor. And he tells him, I'm going to use you to build a mighty army to drive the enemy away. 
<laughs> if you know the story, over 30,000 came with Gideon. And then he said, now all of you that are afraid, I want you to go home. 20,000 left. <laughs> Two-thirds of them gone. Then the Lord said, I, I want you to take them down to the river and tell them to get a drink of water. And I want you to watch how they get a drink. They got to pass the water test. Some of them, most of them, just stick their head down there and start slurping. But others would take the water and scoop it up. But they kept watching while they were drinking. The others just stuck their head down and didn't care. And the Lord told Gideon, take the ones that lap water like a dog. The ones that are always aware. 300 of them. <laughs> Amazing. In order for you to understand this story, you've got to know about Abraham and Lot. Abraham is a big deal in the Bible. He's massive. I don't know how many verses in the Bible are dedicated to Abraham. But Abraham's wealthy. And he's got a nephew by the name of Lot. Abraham is sharing his herds and his flocks. The Bible uses those phrases. But it's specific. A, a herd are cows. Flocks are sheep and goats. Abraham's got all three. Cows, sheep, goats. Sharing some of that bounty with his nephew. In time, the shepherds, the herdsmen that were overseeing these flocks and herds for these two men started fighting with one another about you know, who gets the best grass and the water and the wells and on and on and on. And so Abraham, being who he was, looked at his nephew and said, look, we need to part ways. You choose whatever you want, I'll take what's left over, which is backwards. That's what Lot should have said to his uncle. But it says that Lot chose the well-watered plains of Sodom. Abraham took the leftovers. Well, you don't have to be a linguist. Even now, the word Sodom or sodomy, it's pretty obvious what the problem was. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12, it says this, and Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Which means he wasn't there, but every day that he got up and opened up his tent door, there's Sodom. It's the first thing he saw when he got up in the morning. One chapter later, in Genesis 14 and 12, it says, And Lot dwelt in Sodom. Five chapters later, in Genesis 19 and verse 1, it says, and Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. That doesn't mean much to most people, but back then, cities were fortified with walls, and they had gates in the walls. The real estate around a gate is highly prized property. 
Jesus had one of the original 12. His name was Matthew. It said he sat by the gate at the receipt of custom, which means Matthew worked for the IRS. Even back then, they'd get you. Because everybody that went out of the city had to go through a gate. Everybody that came into the city had to come in a gate. So it's a natural funnel. And any property around that gate is highly prized. So when it says that Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom, he's just not down there just, you know, spitballing with his pals. He's involved in the politics of this city. It's a progression. He looks at it, then he's living in it, then he's really deeply involved. It's a sad story. The wickedness of those twin cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, became so great that God said, I'm going to destroy it. In his mercy, he sent an angel to visit Lot. Just looked like a man, but it wasn't a man. It was an angel. The men of Sodom gathered around Lot's house and said, Bring your guest out. We want to know him. We're not talking about putt-putt golf here. And um, It says, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It's the same concept. They want to molest this man that's come to Lot's house. Lot, being the big gregarious daddy that he is, having all of his principles perfectly aligned, said... I'll give you my daughters. Here, you take my girls, you molest my girls, but leave my guest alone. And I said, no, we don't want your girls. We want the man that's in your house. It so angered the Lord that it said, everybody around Lot's house, he made them blind. It's one of the, it's a, it's a powerful verse. It says, and stumbling in their blindness... They still looked for the door. They're, they're living under the judgment of blindness that God put on them. But they're still trying to get in Lot's house. That's how messed up this town is. And the angel tells Lot and his wife and his girls, you've got to get out of here now. It said, and while they lingered, the angel grabbed them and literally ran with them out of the city. And he said, I just, got, I just got one very simple rule for you. Whatever you do, don't look back. Don't, don't turn around. Lot's wife turned around. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. It said she became a pillar, a, a statue of salt. And it says she's still there to this day. So somewhere out in that arid desert, it just... Just, just a blob, just a worn out little bump that used to be somebody's wife and somebody's mom. I don't know who said it, but I heard it years ago. They got Lot's wife out of Sodom, but they never got Sodom out of Lot's wife. She had to look one more time. They've lost everything. They've got the clothes on their back. It said they spent the night in a cave. Now you get an insight and how messed up the girls 
heads have become by living in this kind of an atmosphere. They said, we're never gonna get married, but we'd like to have kids. Let's lie with our father. They made him drunk. Now you get incest. And they got their wish. Both of them are pregnant. They produce two boys. One of them's name is Ammon. The other boy's name is Moab. They both grew into large extended families and both of those tribes, Ammon and Moabites, they are a royal pain in the backside to Israel all through the Old Testament. Moab is such a lousy place that three times in the book of Psalms it says this, Moab is my wash pot. Moab's where I do my dirty dishes. It's where I do my dirty socks. Now you go back to the first verse that I read to you. Elimelech takes his wife and his two boys out of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab. First lesson. Whenever you leave word and worship, you're going to the wash pot. Whenever you walk away from a place where there's praise to the Lord and fresh word being taught, you're only going one direction. You're going to the dirty dishes. It's never, it's never a positive sign. Second lesson. I've said this to you for years. We cannot afford the luxury of one bad service. Usually churches have a midweek service and a Sunday service. The midweek service is usually always the stepchild. We've never tried to approach that here. We've always tried to make every service as good as we can possibly make it. We want the worship to be good, the music to be good, the word to be good. I don't want any service to be, oh, it's just Bible study. I don't ever want that. I want every service to be right because you never know who's going to show up. You never know. And (laughs) we cannot afford to have a famine in Bethlehem, Judah. Because people make lousy choices when there's a famine in the church. This guy leaves and goes to Moab. At the, mean, at the same time, there was a famine in the land during the time of the judges. Now we go back. Elimelech, Naomi, and her two boys are down in Moab. While they're there, Gideon pops up on the scene with his 300 guys. Basically, he gives them all a flashlight. They get a torch. They put up a pitcher, a flower pot over the lit torch, and he gives them a trumpet. He said, now we're going down there at night, and when I give you the command, break the pitcher, blow the horn. So here are all these Midianites sleeping. All of a sudden, they hear the loudest racket, because trust me, everybody's not a trumpet player. All right? I've been a Pentecostal all my life. Every Pentecostal boy said, I'm going to be a drummer. Trust me, everybody's not a drummer. 
But what they lack in ability, they make up in amplitude. They can make noise. It's like painters. I've seen how many people through this. I can paint. No, you can't. There's a guy that's in this room right now, and I'm not going to tell you his name. But I painted with him one time. When I saw him paint, I knew, oh boy, this dude knows what he's doing. When I get done painting, it looks like I've been in a mud wrestling contest. I don't care what kind of jeans I have. You give me a couple months. I got paint, glue, shoes, britches, shirt. It doesn't matter. I just, it's like shrapnel out of a grenade. I'm going to get it on me. This guy paints this wall perfect, quickly, no drop cloth, no splatter. And I went, oh, you've been holding out on me. And this is what he said, don't tell anybody, Pastor, that I know how to paint. Because then everybody asks you. And he said, I'm sick of painting. I don't want to paint no more. It's the same way with trumpet players. Trust me, there were very few skilled trumpet players that day. But what they lacked in ability, the old boys made up in noise. And if you're sleeping at three in the morning and some dude that don't have a clue starts blasting on a trumpet, you will wake up. They stumble out of their tents. Joshua said, all right, boys, crack it. Bam, break the flower pot, torches. There's only 300, but in three o'clock in the morning, stumbling out of bed, it looks like they're surrounded by cabillions. The Midianites get confused in the darkness, start running, bumping, banging into one another. They think it's the enemy. They start fighting among themselves and they all kill themselves. They, it's beautiful. With a trumpet and a flashlight, you wiped out this amazing army. God got the glory. Gideon was exalted. Here's my problem. Elimelech could have been one of those 300 guys if he would have just stayed still. If he would have stuck it out in Bethlehem, Judah, he could have possibly been one of those 300 that had this great victory. Because I can't find anywhere in the Bible where Elimelech ever prayed, should I go to Moab or not? Let me explain something to you right now. There's no such thing as peaceful coexistence with Satan. You understand that? I, I taught a lesson years ago and there were people thought it was so strange. It was called the Christian virtue of hatred. And people thought that was so strange. But my text is Jesus in the temple. I mean, it said he drove out the money changers. I mean, man, he, he, he's, he's, they, they have turned the church into the starvation army. It's like, it's, 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 it's like a yard sale and he's dumping and open cages and the 50 cent spotted ones are already flying and the 75 cent white ones he's about to let go and he's letting cows go and sheep and there's hay everywhere. And all of a sudden this young rabbi comes up and said, when the world do you think, who are you? And he says, well, I tell you who I am. Uh, I'm the resurrection and the life. Who are you? This is my father's house. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. You turn it into a barnyard. 
And what's, what it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful lesson there. Be, 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 because Elimelech, if you would have stayed, you could have been one of those 300 guys. But without praying at all, I'm going to go to Moab. Let, let me answer you. Let me ask. You don't have to pray whether to go to Moab or not. The answer is no. I don't care how bad it gets in church. Stay. Because a Pentecostal service at its worst, it's better than the bar at its best. You're going to leave here today. No guilt. Nobody's going to cuss. No, no, no. Nobody's taking their clothes off. Nobody's smoking dope. Nobody's doing anything stupid. You're going to leave here today with your spirit fed, having been surrounded with wonderful men and women. Your kids have been involved with other great kids. You're going to hear the word of the Lord. You've been exposed to great worship. We're going to have great prayer today. Who knows what God's going to answer in our prayers at the end of this service. This is a better way to live. All right. If there wasn't a heaven, if there wasn't a hell, it's a better way to live. I, honest to goodness, I've seen people go across this country and leave this church for a job that pays $5 more an hour and never, ever call ahead to see if there's a good church there. I've seen that. I have a very dear friend named Stan Gleason who pastors in Kansas City. I, I told this story years ago, but his, his great-grandfather, in the middle of the Depression, we're talking... 31, 32, 1931. His, his great-grandfather got a letter. You are the only surviving heir to a fortune. However, there's one caveat. You have to live in the ancestral home for at least one year. After one year, you can sell the estate and the lands. You can come back to America but you have to live in that ancestral estate for at least one year. It was in Scotland. He called, did everything he could. The estate was, I forget how many acres, but I remember the money was $3 million in the middle of the depression. He does letters, does everything he can with telegrams. Can't find a church anywhere close to what effectively was a castle wrote him back and said, give the estate to someone else. I'm not coming. Now, fast forward it to where we are. Over 82 of the relatives of Stan Gleason have either been pastors, pastors' wives, missionaries, missionary wives, or involved in some aspect of the work of God. Because he said, I'm not gonna make a spiritual decision based on money. That's the truth. That's the truth. They get down there, the boys get married. Elimelech dies. So now Naomi's a widow. The two boys die. Now we got three widows. Naomi, it says she heard that there was bread in Bethlehem, Judah again. Amen. 
she heard the report. My, my kids could go to school and hear 50,000 good words. Hear one cuss word. Can't wait to come home and take that dude out for a drive. Amazing. Do you know, this is, the, 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 Joshua chooses, or Moses rather, Joshua was one of them. Moses chooses 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan. They send them, they come back. All right, Joshua, what do you say? We can do it, boss, no problem. Caleb, what do you say? Give me this mountain. We can do this. Number three? Um, look, I love Joe and Cave, but I got to be honest with you, Moses. Uh-uh. I felt like I was a grasshopper over there. They got giants over there. Number four? I'm with three. What about you, five? Number six, what do you say? Seven, what do you say? Nope. Eight, nine, ten, wait. Sorry, boss, can't do it. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in this room that's ever heard the name Igal? Paltai, Nebuel. Oh, these are well-known names in Christianity. Those are just three of the ten that said, I don't think we can do this. But if I mention the name of Joshua and Caleb, most of you, if not all of you, have heard those names before and know that they're powerful, great leaders in the Old Testament. You don't remember the names of the other ten. Nobody remembers their names. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., they don't build monuments to guys that said, I don't think we can do this. They say when they signed the declaration, I thought it was Benjamin Franklin, but it was one of those guys that said, fellas, we better hang together. Because if we don't hang together, we're going to hang separate. Zig Ziglar was the first one I ever heard say it. But he said, the people that say we can and the people that say we can't, they're both right. If you think we can't do it, you won't. If you think you can, with God's help, I'm not talking about positive mental attitude here. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, I've got to go into a meeting this evening and, and uh, about a proposed di- district. We're, 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 we have plans to build another building on this adjacent property. Let, 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 let me explain something to you right now. There's a difference between the spirit of unity and the unity of the spirit. Okay? You go to a Tigers baseball game, they're unified. Look at the Tower of Babel. It said the people's hearts were one. God wasn't anywhere close to it, but they were together. Just because you have unity doesn't mean God's there. So there's a difference between the spirit of unity and the unity that comes from the spirit. That when the Holy Ghost brings us together, that's a whole... We're not talking about Amway here. We're not talking about some rally here. We're talking about something that the Holy Ghost has brought us together. We can't do what we're about to do without the unity of the Spirit. We can't just give me a J, give me an E, give me an S. It's got to be more. It's got to be a legitimate understanding inside of our heart that we're building something for people yet unborn. For faces we've never seen yet. For, 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 For phone numbers and addresses and emails we don't have yet. 
they're out there. I know that because I saw them Sunday. I never had, I, I just won, my wife and I are going, and the rest of the staff, just shaking one after another. I didn't even know you people were here. One lady said, I'd like to make a donation. I said, no, we didn't do that because of money. We just wanted to do something for the community. She said, I know, but this ain't free. Can I give you some money? I said, yeah, sure. I'll take your money. It was just something that she realized. She said, this is wonderful. She said, look around here. Nobody's drinking beer. She said, nobody's smoking dope. She said, look, she said, look at all these kids. She said, I'll be back. I'll be back. They're there. The harvest is ripe. Already white. That, that, that don't mean ripe. That means about to get rotten. That's what that's a, that's this community. We are blessed to be in a community that's open to the gospel. Do you understand that last week, kids came from all over the country into this church? And Brother Thompson, whose pal is the youth president of West Virginia and is the national coordinator for AYC, American Youth Congress, and just, or, or youth, uh, the, 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 they were in Dearborn. And they spent last week in Dearborn handing out Knocking doors, inviting people, right in the center, in the belly of the beast. That's where they were. Friday night, we had a worship service. Hassan Boutros preached his first message last Friday night. Sunday, we had a great crowd. And we just didn't, it wasn't just hot dogs and fireworks. We had church. We baptized, I forget how many people, at least four that I remember in, on the grass. It's just, I, I, I'll live with you. I, I haven't done a good job with this through the years. I haven't. But it's obvious to me. This city's open to the gospel. They just need to know, where are you? We need to make them aware we're here. And we want to build something in this city that glorifies God. And it's just, it, 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 it's... When, 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 when those, there's 10 of them that said no, Joshua and Caleb said yes. Read what it says in the book of Numbers. It said, when the spies brought back an evil report. It doesn't say it was negative. It said it was evil. Because when you say, I don't think God can do this, that's evil. There's no faith anywhere. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying don't be a schoolyard child. That you hear one cuss word and you can't, you can't wait to use it. What are you talking about? Don't get fed. Don't just, just hear one negative story and latch onto that and treat it like it's fact. Don't be so quickly disposed to go to the negative. Let's believe God for something mighty. Let's believe God for something amazing. Let's believe the report. report are you going to give? Ah, the hot dogs were cold. I've seen better fireworks down there on the river. Yeah, they only spent $3 million down there. Okay. But the fire, the fire marshal, fire marshal who hates fireworks came and told James, they're here. Steve Meadows here. I'm not making this up. Steve Meadows here. James Hagman's here. The fire marshal came and said, this is the safest display that I've seen in this community. You guys are doing a great job. 
It was a great witness. It was a great witness for our church. <laughs> and it, it, it just, remember, I, this is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is powerful because that's the one that says he, he grew up as a tender plant. When the root became the branch, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Some of you have heard this. Some of you haven't. Watch how exact the word is. A wound is when your skin is broken and blood flows on the surface of the skin. Bruise is when blood flows beneath the surface of the skin. But a transgression in the Bible is an open, obvious sin that people see that we have committed. But iniquity is always a sin of the spirit. It's a secret thing between you and God. Watch how exact the word is. He was wounded. The blood flowed outward that everybody, for the transgression, for the stuff that we did that everybody saw us do. But he was bruised for our iniquity and that blood was shed for our secret sins of the spirit. So he'll deal with the obvious and he'll deal with the clandestine. That's how powerful Isaiah 53 is. But this is how it begins. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, if you want God's arm, you read about the arm of the Lord in the Bible. If you want the arm of the Lord revealed, you've got to be willing to believe the report. You've got to stay positive. I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about faith here. I'm talking about, not arrogance, I'm talking about confidence that we're trying to do something for God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not going to attempt the impossible, why do we need God? If we can do it by our own ability and our own money and our own... We don't need God. We're trying to do something here we can't afford. Something that we can't pull off. But we believe it's right to do something in this community to reach more people. So here's Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws. They get out on the edge of the city. They're all bawling and squalling. Orpah, she says, you know what? I love you, but I, I, I'm going back home. July 24th, 1980, I heard these words in St. Louis. Entreat me not to leave thee. For wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Wherever you are buried, I'm going to be buried beside of you. That's what Ruth said to her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's what my sweetheart said to me 41 years ago now, very soon. In the basement, of, those words will always be very precious and very special to me. We didn't get to go anywhere on our 40th anniversary, so don't be surprised if Renee and I don't bug out of here in just a little while because that pandemic kind of messed up my plans. Look at look at the look at the typology. Your church is going to be my church. Your God's going to be my God. However, you get baptized, which is burial. I'm going to get buried and baptized the same way you do. It's, it's all typology. It's all pictures. I'll show you later on, a couple weeks from now, about how much prophecy is involved here. So Naomi and Ruth make their way back to Bethlehem, Judah. Listen, listen to this verse. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 21, she said, I went out. Full. Whoa, 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 whoa. It says you people left because of the famine. She said, I didn't understand how much we really had back then. 
I was really full and didn't even know it. Because an apostolic church with a famine is more full than that empty world out there in the worst pot. He said, we're going to sojourn in the land. The word, we don't talk like that today, but the word sojourn means I'm just going to stay for a little while. Let me tell you about sin. Sin's going to take you further than you ever thought you'd go. It's going to keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And it's going to cost you more than you ever, ever expected it to cost. He dies there. Boys are dead. Naomi comes back. And they go, I know you. You're Naomi. Oh, she said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't call me that. You call me Mayra. Because, man, we made a, said, it's been a bitter time. Ladies and gentlemen, going to hell ought to be hard. Not serving God. The way of a transgressor is supposed to be hard. Don't say, oh, it's so hard living for God. The other way is supposed to be hard. But it can be so glorified and so magnified. But I've seen where all that leads. I could tell you story after story after story after story. But I'm not going to violate anybody's. But I will tell you this. You can go back. You can go back to Bethlehem, Judah. And there's an old poem that says, when you get back to where you left, you might really be able to see it as it truly is for the first time. There are people that walk away from church, don't think nothing of it. Samson was so stupid that he said, if I lose my covenant with God, the worst thing that's going to happen to me is I'll be like every other man. Every other man wasn't blind. Every other man wasn't grinding out mill and, and flour at him. Just... There are people that think, I could, I'll just walk away from church. I'll be just like, a, remember Lot's wife. Don't remember her for her education. Don't remember her for her beauty. Remember her for one reason. She looked back. And the Bible said, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. But guess what? Even though you aren't fit, he'll still take you. You can come back. And here's the good news. You don't have to come back alone. When I said that in the first service, when service was over, I was praying with people by the altar and greeting people that had come. And there was a man here. And he said, he just started crying. He said, it's me. It's me. And I said, he said, he said, it's like you've been walking with me for the last four years. He said, I'm the guy that used to come. And I walked away. And he said, I'm telling you, it's been a brutal experience not being in the house of God and being in this church. But he said, I came back. Here's my wife. Our kids are being taught with the Sunday school. He said, I'm so glad to be back. So Stand with me. Stand with me. Ladies and gentlemen. Never forget the blessing of Bethlehem, Judah. Never underestimate it. Never, ne ne never take it for granted. If I'm talking to somebody today that possibly you made, you got some bad information, you made a bad choice. Welcome home.
We're glad you're here. Come, come, come worshiping around the altar. Come worshiping around the altar. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't, don't, don't stop worshiping. Lord Jesus. We're believing you for healing right now. Jesus. People are in this room right now. Amen. Have been involved in the worship. Have listened to the word. Now, Jesus, we want miracles, signs, and wonders. You said that that would follow. Follow. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We've done the best we knew how to do this week, Lord, to serve you and to live for you. There are people in this room, they're weary, they're tired, but it's a good tired because we did it doing what was right. Tried to take care of our families, tried to do the things that were honorable. Amen, we're in your house right now. You said when we are weak, you are strong. And boy, you ought to be powerful today because I feel really tired and I'm fatigued and I'm weak. But Lord Jesus, in my weakness, you are made strong. I don't ever expect and never ever want any kind of credit and being in the position that I am in right now, physically and mentally, there is absolutely no way I could heal anybody. So anything that goes on right now around this altar has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to heal. If there's cancer in this room, kick it out like the trash and like the hobo and the squatter it truly is. If I'm preaching to somebody whose family is under attack right now, I'm asking you, Lord, to begin to build a foundation beneath them. Put a hedge round about them. Put a canopy over them. I'm asking you, Lord, to give me men, godly men. I'm grateful for women. Thank you, Lord, for every godly mom and every godly wife and every godly grandmother. But what I'm after, Lord Jesus, I've got to have some priests. I've got to have some priests of the home. I'm asking you for godly men, godly daddies, godly husbands, godly single men. I'm asking you, Lord, to help us to understand the value of men that will be willing to lead in worship and praise. Holy God, right now, protect these homes. Protect these families. We got these kids that have just graduated. They're going into work. They're going to college. We're going to have to release them, Lord, whether we like it or not, whether we think they're ready or not. We're going to have to release them, Lord. I don't want to lose any of them. Not a one of them. They've been in this church, many of them, for years, Lord. It's not right for them to walk away. It's not right for any of them to fall off the end of the planet right now. I'm asking you, God, right now, before the decision is ever made to pack up and go to Moab, but just one, just, just for one more time, just to, uh, just to pray and say, God, should I stay or should I go? Because I'm confident your word is going to speak to them. Get some root downward and you'll grow some fruit upward. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, let some root grow deep. Get something deep, get something deep, deep in the word, deep into prayer, deep into ministry, deep into serving, Lord. Oh, Jesus, God of healing, God of wholeness, God of, God, God of harvest, God of holiness. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, precious people that are watching online, Lord, that river and that bridge is a barrier to me, but that river and that bridge is not going to keep the Holy Ghost out of Windsor right now. I pray for Brother Leonard, and I pray for Aileen, and I pray for Chris, and I pray for Sasa. I pray for that little girl. 
I pray, Lord, amen, for Nathan. I pray, Lord, for their two children. I pray for you, Get's daughter. I pray, Lord, amen, amen, amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for Nathan's mom. I pray for those precious people. I got friends, I got relatives, Lord, splashed all over this planet that are watching this day right now. I'm asking you, God, would you use this ministry and use this method? Amen. I can't clone myself. I can't be in two places at once, but you can, because you know no better. You know no boundary. You're the God of space and time. I'm asking you, Lord, I'm the present one. El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, heal, deliver, encourage, strengthen. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, just like that. Just like that. Just like that. 